Welcome to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you. This show is made possible through the support of Transitions Life Care, and I'm Jason Kong. Joining me this evening is Cooper Linton with Transitions Life Care. Cooper, how are you? I am always happy to be here. Yes, sir, you are. You you always got that smile on your face. I got a cup of coffee, too. Coffee in hand. Coffee in the evening is not always a bad thing. Always a chipper guy. And returning to us once again, the artist formerly known as Nicole Bruno. How are we addressing you now, Nicole? Well, I guess apparently there's a new name. Okay. And, and, I, and I've been schooled on how to pronounce it. <laughs> All right. I'd... So it's the artist formerly known as Nicole Bruno, now mm-hmm. known as Nicole Cleggett. Cleggett. C-L-A-G-E-T-T. All right. I'm gonna, Fresh off a plane from Belize. I'm going to need a couple <laughs> cue cards to make sure I reinforce that. But, That's going to uh, be a hard one for folks to get used to, I think. It will. It will. I'm sure I'm going to stumble a couple times, but you just hit that shocker uh, over there that, that buzzes color, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fine. That's fine. I'm used to it. And Nicole, of course, represents Transitions Guiding Lights. And Cooper, you've brought in a, a familiar guest here on the program, so I'll let you take it from here. Well, we have a guest that's not only familiar to the program, but actually a very familiar within our community of aging and elder care in the Triangle and larger market. We have Dr. David Fisher with us this evening. He is a family medicine physician who's also board certified in hospice and palliative medicine and works with doctors making house calls, um, has written a book, has worked on radio shows, and is just um, an exceptional physician, in my opinion. I just wanted to share that on a personal note. Well, thank you. Nice to be here. Welcome Thanks. to the show. Glad to be here. Thanks. And congratulations, Mrs. Cleggett. <laughs> did We're I get that practice. right? Well, thank you. You did get it right. That's a lot harder than Bruno, I know. Yes, yes, I'm well. sorry. <laughs> but not as bad as my maiden name once was. Ah, okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, just for the listeners, I've decided to keep my last name. Uh, no, I'm glad. There have been no changes in my life. I wasn't married. I'm just still Cooper. So, Well, we have a couple of topics that we discussed uh, earlier that we may want to touch on during this show. One of them is there's a program that Doctors Making House Calls has been involved in that you've been personally involved in that includes Medicare called Independence at Home. Can you kind of talk about this program sure. just a little bit? Sure. Well, you know, what we do at Doctors Making House Calls, of course, is visit people in their homes. Most of us are also uh, geriatricians, so trained in uh, care of older adults, which lends itself well to our particular patient population. But um, I think we've all known for a long time that house calls are uh, good for patients, that it's what patients often prefer, and it also uh, saves money, saves costs on health care because it helps keep people out of emergency rooms a lot of times and out of the hospital in particular. And so Medicare finally decided to look at this in more detail because at the current moment, um, Medicare does not reimburse physicians Um, anything additional to make house calls. And so from a practical standpoint, it's difficult. um, It's difficult to do. You know, in the old days, doctors would make house calls and it worked out okay. I don't know if it's because patients would give them a chicken or something to Reimburse well, we cook you dinner, or, and you know, yeah, cook you dinner, a couple right. gallons of milk, give an apple pie, or yeah. Actually, there's a lot of things I'll do for an apple pie, but I, I think that's a different <laughs> show. Um, I, I do think there's two kind of misconceptions. One of them is that when a doctor makes house calls today, there, you know, I think we have this kind of nostalgic view of uh, someone showing up. There's the proverbial black bag, mm-hmm. um, but today your bag of tricks is actually a little larger. Yes, we can do a lot more in the home. I do carry a little 
black bag with my stethoscope and you know uh but um one of the things we find endearing i, I don't show up in a horse and buggy but you know. <laughs> uh but uh we can do so much in the home now um with uh x-rays and blood tests and ultrasounds and uh we can do there's a lot more portable technology now and you know for people who are homebound or unable to get out easily uh, this is a great benefit, a, gr- a great way to get quality health care, the same level you'd get in an office and, and even in a hospital. Um, there's even a movement called Hospital at Home where you're monitoring uh, vital signs and you're, you're, you're checking things and nurses are coming out to the home. And so um, it really, for one thing, cuts down on uh, cost, but also cuts down on some of the risks of being in the hospital, like picking up infections from other sick people who are around. And so, um, yeah, it's, it, the technology is merging with home care in an exciting way. The key now is trying to figure out how to pay for it. And so that's what this Independence at Home project, which started back in 2012, uh, is about, is getting the data to prove to the powers that be in Congress that this actually does make sense. And so it's a Medicare demonstration project, and, and we've been doing this now for several years. There are 16 practices nationwide who are part of it. And it's actually the first Medicare demonstration project that has shown improved patient outcomes and reduced costs. So we're seeing what we expected, the reduction in emergency room visits and the reduction in um, hospitalizations. And at the same time, we're seeing um, improved health outcomes for our patients and and saving money. So it's a win-win, and we hope that the powers that be will take notice and restructure things so that everybody who's a Medicare beneficiary might be able to have this house call benefit. Wouldn't you say that, you know, probably part of the reason why it's showing such great improvement is because of the difference it really makes to see a person truly in their natural environment. You get to see kind of how they're living. Maybe you might notice some over-the-counter medications they're taking that they might not think about talking about at the doctor's office. Maybe the real stress level of the caregiver. All those things, I think, probably would play an important role because I know based on my experience, you know, when families are bringing loved ones to the doctor's office, mm-hmm. you know, everyone's usually trying to dress the best that they can, <laughs> right. you know, but you kind of, you just kind of, you, you do, you do. And yes. then, but that may not really be the reality of what's going on at home. Right. And also in the office, it's so busy and, and you're under such time pressure. It's very difficult by nature, somebody who has a hard time getting out of the home is going to be a more complex patient. So there's going to be so much to talk about. And when you're under pressure, time pressure in the office, you're, you're never going to get through everything. Whereas with a house call, you do have an opportunity. I mean, I often spend an hour in the patient's home with not only the patient, but the caregivers, you know, the, the whole uh, galaxy around the patient that's necessary to kind of keep them going and care for them. And so... Um, but we miss that in the doctor's office. Often, you you yes. just don't have the social components that are surrounding a patient, to Wh- your point. Which is such a key component to the patient's health, absolutely. Yeah, but you can't do a 12-minute visit with all those people there. <laughs> That's right. It'd be a crowded uh, room. I mean, seriously. I mean, there's, there's yeah. just some inherent baked-in differences in the way we see a patient and their family right. when we're not seeing them where they live. But we, we talk about being worried about where a patient you know, worried about emergency room visits and readmissions. Mm-hmm. 
very few patients are readmitted or sent to the emergency room. It does happen, but very few of them are sent there from a doctor's office. Right. The majority of those calls occur or initiated in the patient's place of residence, and that launches them on this trajectory of taking an ambulance ride to the hospital. That's right, and it can be just extremely reassuring when someone calls up and says, I'm not sure if my mom or dad needs to go to the hospital, and I say, well, I can I can be there either later this afternoon or tomorrow morning, and often we do avoid. Now, if they need to go, they need to go, you know, and if we hear something over the phone that sounds worrisome, we say, certainly go ahead and, and call 911, but... Um, oftentimes we can help avoid that uh, with certain things. And yeah, many times, especially if you're just getting into this for the first time as a caregiver, you, you don't know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. And so it helps to have somebody come in, like myself, who has that expertise and can look around and say, oh, you know, maybe, maybe we need to get a hospital bed in here or a lift chair or a wheelchair, you know, different things that you maybe hadn't thought of, or maybe I need to bring in home health or you know, all the different services are available. So it, that's where it, it, you know, I can go in and, and with my experience, I can look around and assess the situation pretty quickly. And, and, and hopefully avoid a very unpleasant and expensive engagement. It, it's a very preventive approach, yes. Dr. David Fisher is our guest right now. He is a family medicine physician and also associated with Doctors Making House Calls. We're discussing a variety of topics now, and we will continue that right after the break. Stick around. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care, and you can find more about Transitions Life Care at transitionslifecare.org. Stick around. You're listening to News Radio 680 WPTF. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680, WPTF. Jason Kong here with Cooper Linton and Nicole Cleggett. Did I get it right? Is that is that right? Am I close? That's good enough. Okay. All right. <laughs> it's going to take me some time. I know that's the artist formerly known as Nicole Bruno. And our guest this evening is Dr. David Fisher. He's a family medicine physician and also with Doctors Making House Calls. And Cooper, we're, we're continuing our discussion here on in-home care. And this is, uh, you were just saying this during the break, but this fills a, a very important gap when it comes to care. Well, there there is an unmet need for physician engagement outside of the acute environment. And, and in a moment on this show, I hope that we're going to talk a little bit about facilities. But the reality is most patients say they want to be at home. Uh, we experience that in home health. We see that in hospice. But we see that in the general population. And there are ways that a patient can receive care at home, and that also can reduce caregiver burden, because getting a patient out of a home, one, at, at times can actually be dangerous, and, and is always, almost always very burdensome, sure. uh, and isn't always necessary. And so you you guys, in addition to treating patients in facilities, which we'll touch on mm-hmm. later, really still make those visits to the home, and there's a way to do that. Right. What, what's the? Can you just speak to that outside of the independence at home concept, really specifically doctors making house What calls. we do, right. So we do visit private homes, and uh, it's really for anyone of any age. Of course, most of our patients are older and tend to be more frail and have a harder time. And it can be an all-day affair, like you say, just getting out to the doctor's office you know, for a 12- to 15-minute visit. So this is much much preferred for many people. And um, we're not a concierge service. We, we take all insurance, uh, Medicare, and all other supplements. Now, people tend to think of concierge services as a very high-end service that's only available to the wealthy. 
Correct. So we, we do provide that level of care, but without having to enroll with a concierge-type practice, um, there's no entrance fee or anything of that nature. The only thing that's additional is there is a trip fee, an individual trip fee that people have to pay out of pocket when we visit the home. It's $95. Most For most people, that's very affordable and, and very preferred, especially when you talk about um, if you have to arrange for medical transport, I mean, the cost costs is, more than $95. Five <laughs> to 10 times that. So, uh, you know, most people are, are willing. And we even waive that for some people if they really have a hard time affording it. So, um, w- otherwise, we bill insurance just like you would uh, at a regular doctor's office. So, if I can for a second, we, we sometimes laugh and say we have an expert that wrote the book on this. But I think you actually did. Didn't you? <laughs> well, I, did. I mean, not in a euphemistic way. I think you actually did write the book on some of this work. Well, well I wrote a book called uh, How to Keep Mom and Yourself Out of a Nursing Home. And it's not that I have anything against nursing homes, and we can talk about because you met or the medical director for one, if uh, I recall. Correct. So <laughs> they do play a role, and it's just that most people don't set that as a goal in life to end up in a nursing home. It's not necessarily on their bucket list. But many people uh, end up there anyway and didn't necessarily think about some of the things that might lead to that. To, and, and it's really about losing one's independence that, that tends to then move you to that stage of needing that additional care at that level. And so um, the book really goes through some of the, some of the pitfalls that will lead to that process and, and how to avoid them, how to do some preventive things ahead of time really in your 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, you know, at any time it's okay to start. Because we continue to hear, well, I don't want to go to a nursing home. And even though many people don't actually know what a nursing home truly is in its more modern sense. That's right. And so that is something I hear often. And, and of course, most people who end up there didn't plan on it. So I started to notice some patterns of what led people down that path and tried to look at ways to prevent that. So... Uh, but yeah, I do um, oversee one particular uh, facility uh, called a Continuing Care Retirement Community, or CCRC. Mm-hmm. That's uh, in Cary called Searstone. I'm the medical director there, and they have a, a nursing home section of that community. So I have a question about that. You know, um, I think sometimes people may wonder, and, and actually I'm not quite... 100% sure of the answer to this. If I was somebody out in the community then moved into a nursing home, mm-hmm. does my primary care physician that I had in the community follow me into that nursing home or is that where you would take over? Right. Well, that's where uh, so many do not. Now, if you move into a what's called a CCRC or continuing care retirement retirement community and there's several around in the area, there you have all different levels of care in one right. facility. So you've got the independent living, the assisted living, and then the nursing home or uh, skilled uh, nursing level of care. And if you're in an independent or an assisted living, um, you're you're still you're either going to go out to see your primary care doctor, mm-hmm. or you might have a practice like ours that comes in and visits you there. If you're in what's known as a skilled nursing facility, mm-hmm. whether it's a CCRC or a standalone SNF, skilled nursing facility, or we sometimes call it a SNF, or a, a rehab a center, skilled mm-hmm. rehab yeah. center, right? Um, there you're going to have a medical director who oversees all of the patients there, and that's a Medicare requirement. So your primary care doctor is not going to visit you there. So they're not involved anymore. 
typically not. Okay. Now, they may have a conversation with the medical director mm-hmm. uh, to give an update or, you know, get some information. But no, they're not going to be involved. And people are usually there for two reasons. One is they're rehabbing from maybe a surgery or some hospitalizations mm-hmm. and it's just a short term stay or they just have such a level of need that even an assisted living is not enough and they have to stay long-term in a skilled nursing. So, but yeah, once you're in a, a skilled nursing facility, you're going to be over, your, your care will be overseen by the medical director. So the medical director sort of comes that person in the middle of the wheel, and then you then coordinate with specialists, perhaps, if I still saw a cardiologist or... Correct. Okay. So uh, patients can still go out to see mm-hmm. the specialists. Um, I would, I would of course, oversee when they come back with orders and medications mm-hmm. and things and communicate with the specialists mm-hmm. as well. And so uh, it's, you know, simply because uh, typically... Because of the level of need, there's a lot of nursing care involved. Mm-hmm. You you want one physician who's kind of overseeing the the general contractor. Team <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, you could say yeah. that, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that, you know that you've got, you, when you're in a skilled nursing facility, you're going to have nurses, you're going to have uh, social workers, physical mm-hmm. and occupational therapists, you know, all on site, and the medical director oversees all that. And please correct me if I'm wrong, but in the role of medical director, there's also some functions that are not actually patient-specific, but are really more in the sense of helping guide the organization in creating um, high-quality care within the environment. So it's more of a – there's also kind of a policy and medical oversight component to it in addition to the individual patient care. That's correct. So the medical director is responsible for overseeing quality improvement, and we have regular meetings to look at data on the patients. How are we doing with infections and falls and wounds and those types of things? And then to develop policies and protocols to put in place – uh, of course, to meet Medicare regulations, but also to try to improve our care at the facility. I think it's it's interesting. There's sometimes an idea that there's uh, just a um, the medical director just is really just in charge of visiting patients there, and while they do that function, right, they're really involved at a more systemic level or organizational level. That's right. Yeah, there's a lot um, more involved than just seeing the patients individually. Yes. Yeah, th- there's excellence in that visit, but there's also excellence in the overall operations that support the care when you're not there. We hope so. That's right. <laughs> That's the idea. <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. Dr. David Fisher is our guest this evening. He is a family medicine physician and also with Doctors Making House Calls. And a reminder, we just uh, mentioned his book earlier, but that book, in case you missed it, is How to Keep Mom and Yourself Out of the Nursing Home. And I'm, I'm guessing that's available on Amazon. If, if you search it on Amazon, up. How to Keep Mom, you'll find it there, yes. Excellent, excellent, very good. A quick break and back, you're listening to Aging Matters, Care and Comfort That Surrounds You, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. News Radio 680 WPTF, you're listening to Aging Matters, Care and Comfort That Surrounds You, a service of Transitions Life Care. Jason Kong here with Cooper Linton and Nicole Cleggett. Am I getting closer? Am I getting closer, Nicole? 
9.5. 9.5. All right. I didn't stick the landing quite there. but um, You're never going to get a 10, Jason. Well, at least, let me say, I've never gotten one. So. No. Well, I know. Well, but you, you're, you're you're more of an achiever than I am. I see. He's, he'll definitely get a 10. You will never get a 10. <laughs> it's getting to be a small studio. We missed you, Nicole. We, we really did. I mean, this dynamic this is what I live for every Saturday night. Well, uh, we've got Dr. David Fisher here in the studio, our guest this evening. He's a family medicine physician and also with doctors making house calls and cooper uh we've been plugging this for a while now but we've uh we'll talk about it i think a little bit later in the program we've got our advanced directives event coming up but uh this is a subject that we just can't talk enough about well it, it is and this is one of those times where i wish we'd left the mics on uh, during the break because we had a quick sidebar conversation about a specific patient that had been um, there was a protocol in the nursing facility and the nurses were following the protocol to say this patient uh, has shown certain symptoms and we're going to send them to the emergency room. And, and yet there was a way to intervene medically. And uh, Dr. Fisher was involved in this particular case that altered the trajectory of that care. And the patient actually was able to reside in the facility, still have excellent care, still have an excellent outcome. But we skipped the process of, of a readmission to the hospital not by reducing care, but by just altering where that, where and how that care was delivered. And it brought up a conversation about how do people really capture what they want? Because that patient mm-hmm. involved a most form. Yes. A most form is how that patient's wishes were conveyed. And we, we talk about advanced directives, healthcare power of attorney, living will. Right. But we don't talk about most forms. Can you talk about them? Sure, yes. So M-O-S-T stands for Medical Orders for Scope of Treatment. And this is a form that was developed in North Carolina uh, over a decade ago. It's a pink form um, that you may see. And what it does is it gives people a chance to put in writing some of the specific wishes that they want as far as their medical care. And I I remember the case that we talked about and many more like it where – a, a facility, specifically a nursing home or assisted living, may have certain protocols about what their their level of risk or liability might be if a patient's facing a certain situation. And they're very quick often to call 911 and, and send them out to the emergency room. And I don't necessarily fault them for that. Often it's because the people who are present on site may not have the medical training to know exactly what to do. And so they just need to get that person into a situation where they feel confident that a doctor or someone can look at them. That's where our practice can come in and we can say, oh, we'll be there in an hour and look at the patient, you know, as long as their vitals are stable and they're medically stable. Um, that takes a load off. But another way to take the load off of uh, the, the medical community in terms of not knowing maybe what to do is to to put your wishes in writing. And what's great about the most form is it is a medical order, a doctor's order that is transportable. So, And this is a little different from the simply what we call the DNR, the do not resuscitate order, which I sometimes refer to as a light switch. It's it's binary. Either I do or I don't want life-sustaining treatment through CPR. That's right. It's very basic. So that's a yellow form, and it says that – if I go into cardiac arrest, you know, my heart stops completely or I stop breathing completely, uh, I do not want CPR in that situation. And certainly there are many people with terminal illnesses or with advanced illness that make that decision, and it's, a, it's an individual decision. 
but it's very, like you say, it's very binary. It's very basic. The most form was developed because there's many other situations that may come up short of that that we need to address where people have specific wishes. So, Could you give some examples specifically of what's included in that form? Right. So um, it does talk about resuscitation, so there is a place to choose DNR status, but it also talks about uh, intubation, meaning putting in a breathing tube, going on a mechanical ventilator. It talks about IV fluids. It talks about antibiotics, and it talks about um, feeding tubes. And so people have very specific wishes about some of these things that they've maybe talked about with a loved one or even put in a living will. But the problem with those documents or conversations is that when you're in the middle of a crisis and nobody has the document or nobody has access to the power of attorney who knows what the patient's wishes are, we're going to naturally, of course, proceed with the most comprehensive and invasive type medical uh, interventions to you know keep this person alive, whereas there might be wishes that we're going against, but we just don't know about them. So, and I know both Cooper and I have both been in caregiving situations in the past, and we've both received phone calls about loved ones saying, the following has happened and we're going to do the following things uh-huh. and send them to the emergency room or whatever. Talk to us a little bit about how a family can be a really strong advocate, because we have a lot of families kind of listening here today. And I think sometimes people aren't sure, you know, if I'm called and I'm told, you know, this happened to mom, but I know that's not what mom would want. How do they kind of talk to that uh, organization without hurting that relationship too? Because there's always that fear of, well, if I kind of Uh make waves, what will the care Uh, be like down the road? Well, you know, as the power of attorney for healthcare, and that's another important advanced directive to have in place, by the way, Uh, is to choose that person or group of people that you want to make decisions on your own behalf if you're unable to voice those, um, has the right, so the power of attorney has the right to refuse um, certain treatments or or activities. Um, Yeah, you want to uh, gently (laughs) remind, perhaps, uh, may have to be more forceful in reminding the uh, facility or whoever is involved that actually, no, this is not what, the, the patient has has requested. This is not what mom or dad wants or the loved one. Um, and that's where, again, this form can really come in handy because you might say, well, have you looked at the most form that's on their chart? Because it says that we're not going to do X, Y, or Z, and this is the patient's wishes. And, you know, I've had situations where um, someone was insisting, no, this is what we're doing. I say, well, actually, you, if you go against if you go against the patient, if let's say someone's worried about their risk or liability, if you go against the patient's wishes, you're actually incurring more risk and liability to your organization uh, than if you follow them. So life you know, comes with risk and liability. How much of it do you want? Yeah, <laughs> and, and and just trying to, I think, remind everyone that we're all on the same team and we're all trying to do what the patient wants, and we do hold patient autonomy as a very important ethical concept in our healthcare system that patients get to decide what they do want and what they don't want. And so uh, just reminding someone that, well, this is, we've had these discussions and this is what my loved one wants. And so it's, it's your job to abide by that. Um, and, you know, whether or not you maybe agree, <laughs> it's not your role to... This isn't about you. This isn't about me. This is about the patient's wishes. And, yeah. You know, when we talk about advocating, and I think you make a great point about advocating on behalf of a patient, 
uh, as a family member, as a health care power of attorney. But it really makes a difference to have those wishes documented. To advocate for something that's not documented is far more challenging. Yes. And so another important thing is to have conversations, too, about this. So one of the reasons I think the most form is so valuable is because it encourages us to have the conversation because you have to talk about these different things that are sometimes difficult to talk about, ventilators and feeding tubes, et cetera. But it sort of forces the patient and loved ones to have that discussion. And then I would advise if you have this form uh, that when you bring it in, say someone is moving into a, a facility, that you don't just hand it to somebody, but you actually talk to the, the medical director Absolutely. or the head of nursing there and say, look, here's the form, here's what it says, and let's make sure we're all on the same page here. Let's go from a simple two-dimensional document to a three-dimensional engagement and discussion with the people that are involved in, in the care of your loved one. It's, it's, a, it's a great opportunity for the caregiver to be proactive and really likely reduce the chance of some unpleasant outcomes if we're not engaged. So yes, great advice, and we thank you very much. Well, my pleasure being here, and thanks for all that you do. Dr. David Fisher, again, he's a family medicine physician and with Doctors Making House Calls. His book, again, How to Keep Mom and Yourself Out of the Nursing Home, is available on Amazon if you want to pick that up. Dr. Fisher, thanks again so much for coming in this evening. My pleasure. If I could mention doctorsmakinghousecalls.com is how to find us online, or you can call 919-932-5700 to reach us there. Excellent. Excellent. That's a great way to get a hold of Doctors Making House Calls. Uh, We'll take a quick break and we'll be back. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you here on News Radio 680 WPTF. This show is made possible through the support of Transitions Life Care and with Transitions Life Care, Cooper Linton here and with Transitions Guiding Lights, Nicole Cleggett. <laughs> you're looking real. You're sweating over there. I see the I beads of sweat on your forehead. That. I, yeah, I'm, we're trying to make I'm an echo there. over here. Click it. Click right. It. <laughs> All right. I'm, I'm getting there. But the artist formerly known as Nicole Bruno. I'm Jason Kong and Cooper. We've uh, we're almost there. A, a few more weeks here till our advanced directives event. Is that correct? It is absolutely correct. And I, I I'm going to pull off a dad joke here. Cause oh boy. I, I told my son. I said, Let me get the rim shot ready. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be it's going to be a hard bound like a brick, but. <laughs> Um, so I'm, I'm always, you know, I'm feeling angelic because I'm always harping about advanced directives. Uh, I was like, oh, oh gosh, you can see my son's <laughs> eyes roll back in his head. He goes, Dad, that's such a dad joke. He said, some of them are good. That, that's not. So um, I understand, but we are always having this conversation. And it's interesting that we don't, we don't really utilize advanced directives um, as much as we should. And we just had Dr. Fisher on the show talking about the medical order for scope of treatment or most form. And that requires a physician to fill out. But there's some steps that you don't need a doctor to help you do. Uh, the advanced directives that include a healthcare power of attorney and living will are the two simplest ways to accomplish that. And I was uh, recently talking to someone who said, yeah, it's just a thing for, you know, it's a way for attorneys to make money. I go, well, that's that's funny because on the 14th of April, the attorneys are coming for free. <laughs> I'm not sure how much money they're making. I may feed a couple of them some pizza slices, but 
we're really wanting to do an event. We're doing an event on April 14th, and we really want people to come out, get these advanced directives done. People say, well, it's confusing. It doesn't have to be. We're actually going to have a class. Uh, it's not lengthy. It's about a 15-minute discussion of what is a healthcare power of attorney, what is a living will, what are the conversations you need to have. Uh, and then right after that class, there's going to be a Q&A panel. Uh, and on that Q&A panel will be an attorney. Uh, again, a free attorney. Nobody's. You're not having to pay a thing for this, as well as a physician who is uh, certified in hospice and palliative medicine, so that we can have a conversation and have your questions answered. If it's, oh, I wish I could ask a doctor this, you can. I wish I could ask an attorney this, you can. And then you can actually go to another room that day, which is on just right next door. And execute the documents. There'll be an attorney there to ask private questions if it's things you didn't want to talk about in a larger room uh, at the panel. Uh, there'll be the notary publics there to uh, help you execute the documents. We'll have the witnesses on site because advanced directives in North Carolina require notary public as well as uh, two witnesses. And so all of that's going to be in place. We even have a volunteer who's going to make the extra copies for you so that you can give a copy to your physician or physicians, your loved ones, etc. So do you have to have the people you name potentially to be your healthcare power of attorney with you that day? You don't. Now we do you do need to have a discussion with them. Uh, what you don't want to do is, you know, surprise them five years from now. <laughs> Congratulations, you're my healthcare power of attorney. Uh, it's a great time though to realize, hey, who do I need to talk to? Get the documents executed. And make sure that that person does have a copy of those documents. Because you're asking them to take on an important role in your life. You need to be sure they have the documentation in place to support it. So what if I have an advance directive that I completed in another state? Is that a reason to come to make sure that they're transferable? Or I don't, are they, is. are they? Well, it varies from state to state. And so, you know, uh, in one of the many disclaimers, I'm not a doctor and I'm not an attorney. I'm also not an electrician or a plumber. Um, there's a lot of things in life I'm not. But if you have questions like, does this document apply in North Carolina? I would come. I would bring that document with you because it can still be a guide for your current wishes. Uh, there'll be attorneys there, and you can ask those questions. But good idea is a generally a good idea to update any document you've done in the past. If you've moved from somewhere else, update the document. It's a free chance to do it. It's not like it's going to cost you any money to come there and execute the new documents. Uh, if you've been divorced in the past few years, probably a good time to check out those documents and be sure they're naming the right people. Uh, if you've had a death in your family, it's a great time to revisit that because the person that was your health care power of attorney may have passed away mm -hmm. uh, or they may have had a decline in their health and no, they're no longer able to, to perform as your advocate in the way that they once could have. So those types of circumstances um, may initiate you to say, yeah, I've already done this in the past, but it's a time to do it again. And I remember we had the Secretary of State on here not too long ago, and she was talking about how you can actually register those documents online at the Secretary of State's office. And that's a really great idea, especially as mobile as we all are throughout the country. And, you know, if, if for some reason you didn't happen to bring something with you and something needed to be accessed, you can do that no matter where you are. You absolutely can. Secretary Marshall joined us on this show, uh, both as the Secretary of State for North Carolina 
But as a former practicing attorney who worked with families in the creation of these documents, so she brings not only a passion for the subject, but actually an expertise in the subject. And the Secretary of State's website uh, has a way to register these documents online for a very modest fee. I think it's ten dollars. It's ten bucks is the total fee. Uh, You know, that's less than two trips to Starbucks for some people. And and, um, so what happens is those documents are then stored on that website. You have a passcode to get in. Um, And again, it's not like someone can use these documents against you. The real risk is needing these documents and not having them available. And I think for those of you listening that already have these documents and you feel like you're all set, make sure that folks who need to be able to access them know where they are. Oh, my goodness, don't put them in a safe deposit box. Don't leave them at the attorney's <laughs> I mean, office because you can't get to them at night. And right, the attorney whenever, doesn't need them. Yeah, in the safe deposit box, they can't get into it when you're in a coma in the hospital. So it's just... Look, if, if you want to put your grandmother's wedding band in there, it makes total sense to me. <laughs> But you're probably not going to need her wedding band in an emergency. You are very likely to need those health care power of attorneys uh, uh, or living wills. And, and, and they're not a document that can be used against you anyway. Um, it's only when you're unable to make decisions. Right. For it's a document that's silent until you have a need for it. And if you regain your capacity to speak for yourself, and so many people do, the document again becomes silent. Mm -hmm. So it's not like someone has this document and they're now able to go grab your medical records and commit you mm-hmm. and do terrible things to you. They just can't. It's not legally possible. Well, and I think a lot of people are familiar, even if you're going in for a minor procedure in the hospital and they're going to knock you unconscious for, well, maybe not knock you, but Yeah, I think <laughs> they're using much. something more sophisticated these <laughs> but, days. But, <laughs> but, you know, even for an hour or two, they usually have you sign a little something to say, now, if something were to happen... Who do I talk to? And that's to? temporary. And they even say, this is a temporary document, only for the time you're here. <laughs> and so... Well, but, and you need something in place for the unexpected. Uh, And these documents can make an enormous difference in caregiver stress as well, because the caregiver is no longer questioning, what am I going to do? You have a plan in place, and you know what? It's a huge burden not to know. Oh, it is very burdensome to not know what you're going to do or who's in charge or who thinks they're in charge and really isn't. Mm -hmm. It's important to have this in place. So I would encourage folks to come out Again, April 14th at the Transitions Life Care Campus. Um, that's at uh, 250 Hospice Circle, Raleigh, North Carolina. It's technically in Cary, North Carolina. <laughs> um, and go to our website at transitionslifecare.org and look for our calendar of events. And on there, you can register because we do. We will like to have some refreshments and things there for you. Uh, there's an opportunity to register either for the 11 o'clock event or the one at 12:30. So, please click online, register, and we'll take care of the heavy lifting when you get there on April 14th. Excellent. Yep, you can go to transitionslifecare.org, get over to the calendar of events section there, and you can find out how to register there. And when I, w- I want to remind you that uh, that website for the uh, Secretary of State, SOSNC.gov, SOSNC.gov, if you click on the topics button, uh, the first one that comes up under A is advanced healthcare directives. So it can't be easier than that. And we are just about out of time. want to thank our guest again, Dr. David Fisher, for joining us this evening. You can uh, go online and go to doctorsmakinghousecalls.com if you want to find Find out more information about what he's doing as well. And a reminder, you can send us an email if you have a question, aging matters at transitionslifecare.com. 
transitionslifecare.org, aging matters at transitionslifecare.org. On behalf of Nicole Cleggett and Cooper Linton, I am Jason Kong. Thank you so much for listening this evening. You've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. Have a good night, everyone.